Okay, so welcome to our series, Luke, Tell the Story. And um, so far we've been in the first phase of the story of Jesus, which is kind of setting the scene, his virgin birth, uh, and his uh, baptism in water, baptism in the Holy Spirit, and temptation in the wilderness. And now we're coming into the second phase, which is the launch of Jesus's ministry. And Jesus' ministry launches in the north of the country, in the region of Galilee, which is in the north of the country of Palestine. And um, I actually uh, visited there last year. And so just showing you now a short video clip of us driving along the western shore of Galilee. And today's story is going to be in Nazareth. So that's going to be going away from the Lake of Galilee and up into the hills a little bit into the town of Nazareth where Jesus grew up. And so Anthony is now going to read to us from Luke chapter 4 verses 16 to 30. Luke chapter 4 verses 16 to 30. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marvelled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? And he said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath, and they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built, so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. When I was little, I lost my football in a thorny bush. And it was really sad and I went in and I couldn't find it. And I forgot about it for a while. And then it was probably a couple of years later, I thought to myself on a whim, oh, I wonder what happened to that football. And I went and I found the bush which had grown and I kind of braved the thorns and dived in. And I found the football, but what had happened was... The the tree had grown around the football, wrapped its branches and kind of absorbed it. And the football had grown into the tree. And it was like the football was saying to me, I don't want to be rescued. I've made a home here. I'm quite comfortable here. Thank you very much. I've been here a couple of years and um, I'm one with the tree now. 
And so somehow I, I wanted to get the football out of the tree, but I also had to get the tree out of the football because they were so entwined together. And I tried and I tried and I couldn't, but I was determined to rescue this football. And so in the end, the only solution was to take an axe to the root of the bush and chop the whole thing down and then prize my ball out of its kind of dead clutches. And God sent his son Jesus into the world to rescue people. But what Jesus found was people didn't necessarily want rescuing. People were going, we're quite happy here, thank you very much. The world has grown into us and we've grown into the world and there's a lot about our lives that we don't want to be saved from, thank you very much. And more precisely, some aspects of salvation seemed attractive to people. So healing, forgiveness, life after death, heaven, like good news, yes please. But other aspects of salvation didn't seem so attractive or we didn't see the need to be saved from them. Our prejudices, our pride, our love of comfort, our self-centeredness. These have grown into us and become so much a part of us that we didn't see the need to be saved from these. So we wanted a selective salvation. Yes, please, I'll be saved from these things, from my addictions and from my pain. Uh, Yes, please, save me from those things. But no, don't touch these areas of my life. So I want Jesus to save me from these things, but not from these things. Uh, Save me from the aspects of myself that I don't like, that I'm not happy with. But don't mess, please, with the aspects of myself that I'm very comfortable with. And so the only solution for me to get my football out was to cut down the whole tree. And the only solution for Jesus was actually through his death and his resurrection to cut down the whole tree, to topple the whole world system. Hallelujah. When Jesus rises again, the world is reset to factory settings. It's relaunched. There's a new creation, a new beginning uh, through the death and the resurrection of Jesus for the whole cosmos. And um, in today's famous story in Luke 4, we're going to see exactly this dynamic at play. We're going to see Jesus announcing that he's come to save the world. We're going to see people loving one aspect of that. Yes, please. Amazing. But then as soon as he touches other aspects, them going, not so much. We don't feel we need saving from that. I don't want you to touch that area of my life, please, Jesus. And so verse 16, and this is our story. We're going to get into it now. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. So Nazareth in the region of Galilee was a simple poor village. One scholar says maybe 90% of the Galilee region was uh, very poor. It's not a noble place with a great history. It's not mentioned at all in the Old Testament uh, or by any of the historians around the time. Uh, If you like, it's like the Scunthorpe of the Bible, kind of tough, working class, uh, poorish people, unimportant, never going to impact politics. And God doesn't send his son to save the world by sending him to Rome, to the centre of the empire, or even in this nation to Caesarea, the political capital, or Jerusalem, the spiritual capital. He sends his son to this small, insignificant place. And through that, 
he transforms the whole world and the whole course of history. So you don't need to be in the centers of power in order to transform things. You don't need influence and connections. Actually, you don't need to position yourself into an influential place. God can work anywhere in the world. He can work through the margins and he works through Jesus here in Nazareth. Rene Padilla, who is a theologian from Ecuador, he notices this and he says this. I would like to suggest that this is not circumstantial, that Jesus' choice of this underdeveloped region of Palestine was an intentional option. In effect, it was an option for the poor. Jesus opted for Galilee because there he was going to carry out his ministry among the masses that had been forgotten by the leaders. And so uh, Jesus comes uh, back to his hometown. He's been away for a while. He comes back and he's going to be given the scroll to make the scripture reading for the day, just like Anthony did our scripture reading for the day just now. And so verse 17, the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him and he unrolled the scroll and he found the place where it was written. And he's reading now from Isaiah chapter 61. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. This word poor, we see it 10 times in Luke. It doesn't mean the righteous poor. It doesn't mean the metaphorically poor in spirit. It means the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind and to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and he rolled up the scroll and he gave it back to the attendant and he sat down they would sit down to teach so he sits down and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him the people they love this passage this is one of their favorite passages of scripture it was really popular they would have all memorized it they all know it it speaks of release and liberation and freedom and for the the people at this time poor and oppressed by the roman empire they would have understood this politically yes the year of the lord's favor throw off the roman oppressor palestine for the jews we can have our own nation self-determination and um uh, also really interesting here is the word for liberty that's used a couple of times the, the greek word for that aphesis is actually a word that's translated in other places as forgiveness so right at the end of luke in chapter 24 and 47 jesus says forgiveness of sins will be preached everywhere The word is this same word. It's like release from sins. Uh, It's powerfully important, actually. It's not just talking about a political freedom, liberty. It's actually talking about also a spiritual release, freedom. You can be free from your sins, from your habits, from the things that are inside you. But what he doesn't say, he, he stops reading before the next verse. See, those that knew the passage in Isaiah 61 would say, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the vengeance of our God. And it's like favor for us and vengeance on our enemies. He's going to smash our enemies. Jesus stops reading there. He doesn't read that verse. He proclaims the year of the Lord's favor, but not the vengeance of God. And so there's so much in this that we love about Jesus standing up at the beginning of his ministry and announcing his mission. This is his manifesto. This is what I've come to do. I've come to 
Uh, know the anointing of the Holy Spirit to preach good news to the poor, to bring freedom and release for captives and sight for the blind. We love this. It's like we can be truly ourselves. We can be set free from what's held us down. We can have agency. And Jesus is like, I've come to free you from everything that has helped you and entrapped you. And his name even, the name Jesus, means God delivers, God rescues, God saves. So the eyes of everyone are fixed on him. See the way Luke writes. There's real drama here. Verse 21, and he began to say to them, and you can imagine with a, with a flourish and a grand gesture, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus is saying, I am the one that Isaiah was writing about. The spirit is on me. This is my mission. I'm here to fulfill this scripture and you're here to witness it and all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth whoa and they said to one another isn't this Joseph's son like he's a local lad done good he's doing us all proud if it was me I'd walk away right there this is the moment everyone's jaws are dropping I've just picked up a couple more thousand followers on insta yes I'm popular I'm gonna leave now while the going's good but Jesus doesn't quit while he's ahead he's now going to start to challenge some of the things that they don't want to be saved from or that they don't realize that they need rescuing from and in doing this he's going to go into prophet mode uh, some sometimes Jesus is very much acting as a prophet and here we're going to see lots of kind of prophetic uh, references. So he's just read from Isaiah the prophet. He's going to refer to himself as a prophet. A prophet's not welcome in his hometown. He'll talk about Elijah and Elisha, who were local prophets from the north. In Luke, there's quite a lot of references to Elijah. It's like Jesus was seeing himself somewhere as a, a new and greater prophet, Elijah. And one of the things that prophets do is they, they challenge, they provoke, they poke deep down inside people their, their strategy is exposed to confront let's bring the nasty stuff out of you so that we can deal with it and cut off its head and that's what he's going to do here so verse 23 so he said to them doubtless you'll quote to me this proverb physician heal yourself what we heard you did at Capernaum do here in your hometown as well. And he said, truly, truly, I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. It, it, it's quite easy to go to another place and to recognize what they do wrong. And like, you shouldn't do it like that. Don't do it like that. That's wrong. We do it differently back at home. It's much harder to recognize the sin in your own culture. This is the way we do things around here. We've always done things around here. And it's, and yeah, but it's wrong. And so Jesus coming as a prophet is able to point to things in their lives and say, this isn't right and it doesn't please God. Verse 25, but in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heavens were shut up for three years and six months. Remember, we read that story earlier in the summer and a great famine came over all the land and Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. And so these two stories, Elijah and Elisha, uh, they're two great northern prophets. They're local heroes. They're local people. They love these guys. But Jesus mentions ministry moments where Elijah and Elisha touch people that are outsiders that are not Jewish. And even more than that, people that are from enemies of these people. So Sidon and Syria, traditional enemies of Israel. And he speaks of God's 
welcoming, inclusive heart to all people. The fact that God loves and shows grace and acceptance to all people from whatever nation, from whatever background, from whatever story. Uh, everyone's invited, even you, even me, and even people that we don't like are invited and welcome. And this makes the people angry. They had selective blindness about those bits of the Bible, uh, like we all do about different bits of the Bible. They're racist and full of self-importance, and Jesus is poking it out of them and saying, I want to save you from this, even though you don't realize that you need saving from it. Verse 28, when they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. This, this anger moment. And they rose up and they drove him out of the town and they brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. And so just showing you a picture of this hill just outside Nazareth, this kind of mountaintop. And um, you can see an amphitheater there. In 2009, Pope Benedict did a mass there for 40,000 people. And they wanted to throw Jesus off the top of this cliff. Why were they angry? Well, because he's left off the verse about vengeance on enemies. They didn't like that. A national saviour is supposed to say... There's favour for us and there's vengeance on them. But Jesus has come and said there's favour for all people. Jesus is not a national saviour. Jesus is an international saviour. Hallelujah. And so we see this almost demonic response. They anger and mob violence and they, they want to kill him. Uh, earlier in chapter 4, we saw the devil attempted to get Jesus to throw himself off the top of the temple. Remember? And, and yet he was saved from that. And now we see this opposition against Jesus and again trying to throw him off a cliff. And so right from the beginning of Jesus' story and all the way through, he's going to face opposition. And so will we. And yet there's a supernatural protection because his time has not yet come. And Jesus will be killed by his enemies. But in three years time, at the appointed time, in the appointed place, at the appointed way, he will die for the sins of the world, he will rise again in order to cut down the bush and uproot the whole world system and reset everything to factory settings, but not yet. Not yet. So that's the story, uh, this wonderful story from Luke chapter 4. And so just to sum up and reflect for a moment, when Jesus talks about deliverance, freedom, rescue, the people love this. Yes, please. But when Jesus pokes other areas of their lives, for these guys in this story, it's prejudice and their sense that they're more important than other nations and their deeply ingrained racism. And they say, no, thank you. Don't touch that area. Sin is, in the Bible, sin is stuff that's done to us, but it's also stuff that we do. So it's stuff that comes out from inside us, but it's also stuff that comes upon us and we love it when Jesus saves us from stuff that's been done to us that's come upon us but not so much when he puts his finger on sin that's inside us but we can't be selective this story shows us the ugly fickleness of our nature one minute they're all marveling wow Jesus is amazing and the next they're trying to kill him and that's our story uh, John said this the light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. And I tried to save my football, but it didn't want to be saved. It was like, I'm so entwined with the tree now. 
And Jesus came to save sinners, but so often we don't want to be saved. But Jesus is so determined to save us that he will save us from things that we want to be saved from. And maybe you're here today and you say, actually, I've got stuff that I want to be saved from. I've got addictions, bad habits, things that I don't like about myself, difficult situations. And right now we speak in the name of Jesus, freedom, liberty, rescue. May the Spirit of God come upon you and deliver you from those situations right now. If you're sick, then let there be a healing from God that comes right now. If you're in an impossible situation, let God come and untangle you and release you in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. But we've also got things that we don't want to be saved from. But Jesus is so committed to rescuing us that he'll save us from those things too, the things that are inside us. When you have unexpected anger that comes out and you're like, where did that come from? Why, why have I had such a strong reaction to this situation? Why do I feel this so deeply? Why am I so provoked by it? What is Jesus doing? The question to ask is, is Jesus putting his finger on something deep inside you, something ingrained, something in your worldview, some way in which you're so entangled with the world? Let Jesus save you even from the things that you don't want to be rescued from, that you don't feel that you need rescuing from. Have a softness and a responsiveness to the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. His goal, brothers and sisters, is to present us as a perfect, spotless bride. And he's promised that his grace will do that. And he will save us from the things that we want saving from. And he'll save us from the things that we don't want him to touch because there's no selective salvation. So be open be soft of heart and be ready for Jesus to bring his salvation into your life. God bless you.